0: Good morning, new community. There are some mornings where worship is just the opportunity to sit in community and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. That was happening this morning. Um, Just allowing the Spirit um, to meet you where you are. We never stay right where we are. Uh, When the Spirit meets us, we're changed. Um, Something in us is stirred. And so whatever the Spirit was doing in you this morning, I just want to bless that and encourage you to revisit that to allow the Spirit to continue to work in your heart. Um, In some ways, this has been a little bit of a heavier week. Um, For somebody who was raised in the UK and as a little girl watched events unfold, um, but as a, an American and a professor, uh, recognizing that uh, my relationship to the royal family is pretty fraught, um, I still recognize um, that there is grief in the loss of someone. And, um, and then also, I was reading uh, last night that today, anybody that was born on 9-11, turns 21 today. And there's something about uh, these moments where we recognize this is how we mark uh, through lives, through events, sometimes and very often collectively through tragedy, we mark the eras in which we live. And it's good to acknowledge that in community. We don't have to make it, one particular thing or another, and we want to make room for the different perspectives and also uh, the different things that are involved in that. We want to acknowledge um, that 9-11 and the events following uh, 9-11, we as a community recognize that there has been a lot of destructive things that have happened since that moment that our country has participated in. And also we remember, we do. And so in that, we sort of sit this morning and we create space together for each one of our hearts, for where we are as a collective, and then to acknowledge that as a community, we participate in a greater community and in this country. And in this, we want to be light and we want to show the kingdom. And so I just want to pray for us this morning um, and to bless us as we start into the word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that you meet us where our hearts are, uh, that there is grief that we carry. um, Some of us remembering 9-11 this morning, some of us grieving um, for the UK and with the UK, and some of us just carrying our own private griefs, that in each one of these that you are present, that you minister to us, um, that you are part of our healing um, process, and that we can walk with you through our healing and into deeper healing, but we also recognize that as members of the kingdom, we are a part of bringing light and being um, those who walk alongside others who grieve. And so here this morning, even as we celebrate our students moving up, even as we have a picnic this afternoon, that we hold these things together and in tension and we love that you love us so very deeply that you have made space for us each one of us, just as we are, just where we are, and we bless that this morning, and ask that you would be honored as we look to you as our source. In Jesus' name, Amen. For any other kiddos who are headed out, uh, you—I think kids were dismissed, <laughs> but I was also told to dismiss kids, so <laughs> just. If anybody else needs to leave, you're good. Otherwise, if you need to get coffee, um, grab coffee, and um, I'm going to jump into uh, the sermon this morning. We have been, yeah, you can head up if you want to. Okay. Um, We have been, uh, started into a new series. Um, Kevin started last week with an introduction to the book of Mark. And so one of the things that we see um, in the book of Mark is uh, source material, starting out. Source material for uh, the book of Matthew. um, Source material for uh, potentially the book of Luke as well. Um, Mark was, uh, was mentored by Peter and was the one who initially recorded the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, One of the things that we see about the book of Mark is that it's this punchy, fast-paced book that identifies, starts with the ministry of Jesus and identifies what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. The life of Jesus and what Jesus taught those who followed him. And so here we are, uh, this book being written around 50 To 60, it's not going to stay on. Thank you, buddy. Um, 50 to 60 A.D., um, and what we see is a book that laid out what followers of Jesus um, were called to, and so last week, as Kevin was talking about sort of the initial introduction, um, we see a couple of things in who john the baptist is so we open up with the baptism of jesus and we see a couple things about who john the baptist is and how this book unpacks if you have your bible or if you have um, an app and you would like to turn to the book of mark um, we will take a look at the first 11 verses concentrating specifically On the last three. Um, So, right here at the beginning of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So a couple of things that Kevin highlighted last week. One is that for 400 years, the children of Israel had been waiting. Uh, They had been waiting for this prophetic voice, and they were used to prophetic voices. We have Isaiah and Malachi who were actually quoted right here in this passage, but the prophetic prophetic voices had gotten kind of quiet and they were also waiting prophecy had said that there would be one who would be the forebearer of messiah and he would be like elijah or he would operate in the spirit of elijah and so when john shows up it's identified that he was filled with the spirit even from his mother's womb that he was filled with the spirit of god which we as New Testament people recognized that after Acts 2, we all are filled with the spirit of God, but that was not common prior to Acts 2. The spirit of God was on the prophets in order to communicate the will and the purpose of God to the people. And so without that prophetic voice, they had the scripture, they had the law, and they just needed to progress. Forward with what they had been told to do and to wait. And so the expectation had grown, and there was a desire for the fulfilling of that messianic prophecy that Messiah would come, and that when Messiah came, there would be a new kingdom established. So here we have um, the Jews living in oppression in Palestine. And this prophetic voice comes. Now, one in the desert was the Essenes. And so the Essenes um, were a kind of withdrawn group, and John was part of that community, had been raised in that community. And there were two types of baptism or um, kind of dunking that was full-body dunking that occurred at the time, and one was for purification, that was part of Jewish law, and the other was for sanctification. Now, I'll tell you, as a kid, here we're gonna get to Jesus' baptism, but as a kid, I will tell you, I was a little bit confused that Jesus needed to be baptized. I was told over and over again he was acting in obedience to the Father, but I'll be honest, there was a part of me that was like, but he was sinless, so he needed to be baptized. I was baptized when I was seven, And it was very clear to me that, like, I had given my life to Jesus, and I wanted people to know that I'd given my life to Jesus. And my sins had been forgiven, and I wanted people to know that. And why did Jesus' sins need to be forgiven? Because he didn't have any sins. Wasn't that kind of the point? And, like, so that part never quite made sense to me. And I was working on this sermon, and I was reading about baptism, particularly in the Jewish tradition, And that there were these two forms of baptism. And one was purification and the other was sanctification. We as new believers participate in both when we experience baptism. When we choose baptism, we are both identifying that we have been forgiven. And that we have been made pure by Jesus Christ. And that we have now been set apart. That the love of God has set us apart. We live into that. Right? So it's both. For us, for Jesus, there is a setting apart that takes place. So here we are and we've got John and he is baptizing and people are coming from all over. So he's out in the wild and people are coming from the city. And this morning I want to take a look specifically at these last three passages. In those days, starting in verse 9... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, They were cousins, Jesus and John, but uh, records indicate that they probably hadn't seen each other for about 25 years. And so clearly John recognizes Jesus, but we're not entirely sure if that's because they were cousins Or because it was the spirit of God identifying to John that this is the Messiah. So did he recognize his cousin? And in that moment, did he also recognize the Messiah? I love the idea that John was having a real moment here. That this kind of blew him away in a big way. And when he came up out of the water, this is Jesus. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is a beautiful picture of baptism. And for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who have experienced baptism, there is a moment that happens. I was seven years old. I still remember it. My biggest concern going into baptism was that the water would get up my nose because we were dunkers in our church. Um, And my dad reassured me uh, that he had a handkerchief. My dad baptized me. He was the pastor of our church. He had a handkerchief and he'd make sure no water got up my nose. But here's what I also remember is baptism was the first time that I entirely initiated the conversation with my parents about my commitment to Jesus. And what i mean by that is i was raised in a culture where we talked about jesus a lot we talked about jesus in our home we prayed at night together and i remember vaguely telling my parents that i wanted jesus to be in my heart they didn't talk about baptism i'll be honest i don't even know where i got the idea probably kind of like this somebody in church was talking about baptism but I remember this keen feeling inside of me that said, yeah, I, I really feel like this is important. I really feel like this is something that I need to do. And I remember coming to my dad, saying to my dad, I, I really would like to be baptized. And here's what I remember about it, is he was so excited. <laughs> he was like super excited. And he's like, you should tell your mom. <laughs> and I, Here's what I remember. My mom was in the bathroom, and so I went and sat in the living room and, like, waited for her to get out of the bathroom, and she came into the living room, and I'm sitting in the living room, and I'm like, mom, and she goes, yeah, I want to be baptized, and she had exactly the response that I had anticipated based on my dad's response. She cried, Um, and so (laughs) it was this moment for me of anticipation, partly because of the culture of our home and partly because something inside of me was really excited that this was entirely between me and God. Entirely. And I keenly remember my baptism. And I remember coming up out of the water. And I was not a kid who carried a lot of guilt. I think my parents did a good job on that front. And I was not a kid who carried a lot of heaviness. I came up out of that water and I just thought, oh, it's all brand new. I didn't even know what I was It just all, all of it, it's all brand new. It's like I had a a brand new perspective. So I want to take a look at this passage right here because I think, I think that right here, Mark is setting up the trajectory for all believers in a way that identifies to us the beginning, the continuum, and the end. There's so little said here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew 27 51. John, between John and Jesus, is the crossing over from the old order of the law and the promised coming Messiah to the fulfilling of the law and the new kingdom that comes in Jesus. And for the duration of Jesus' life prior to his death, we see this transition taking place and this is part of what Mark is indicating to us. Because Jesus is speaking throughout his life of what that new kingdom is going to entail. Of what the new kingdom will be. Of what disciples will be. Of what the values of that kingdom will be. And we talk a lot about the kingdom here at New Community. But that kingdom wasn't actually introduced until Jesus' death and resurrection. So right here at the very, very beginning of his ministry, what many would indicate is the initiation of his ministry. We see the laying out of the trajectory of the birth of this kingdom. Matthew 27, 51. This is following the death of Jesus. And now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkening over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani, that is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said the man is calling Elijah. That promise, right? That Elijah would be the one that would tell of the Messiah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it to put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom and the earth shook the curtain of the temple separated the holy of holies where the presence of god was and the people and it tore from top to bottom this was not a veil this was a 2 foot thick woven curtain torn from top to bottom and so i'll tell you until i was preparing this sermon i never noticed before that when Jesus looks up into heaven, he sees that the sky is torn. I never noticed that that is the actual word that is used in Mark. And he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. It is a precursor. Jesus' experience right now in this moment, is a precursor to what is going to take place at his death. He is the foreshadowing, in this moment, is the foreshadowing of the kingdom that will come upon his death. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. Acts 2 is pretty familiar to us. That the disciples are gathered, Jesus has died, has risen again, has returned to heaven. And here all are gathered in Jerusalem waiting to find out what's going to happen next. And in that upper room with everything locked up, a mighty wind stirs and tongues of fire fall. And the Spirit descends and the church is born. When the Spirit descends... We know over and over and over again through scripture. It can be like a dove. It can be like a mighty wind. But always it is a commissioning to go. Always it comes with this is not about you. Go. This is not just for you. Go. And so what we see here is Jesus being commissioned into his ministry. Jesus, the son of God conceived of the Holy Spirit needed to be commissioned by the Spirit to go into this new ministry. And so even though we have the Spirit, we will often pray for people in their going into a new ministry, identifying to them, yes, you have been sealed with the Spirit, and now be filled with the Spirit for this new thing and go. And so here Jesus already assuming, filled with the Spirit because he was conceived of the Spirit, is having the Spirit descend on him like a dove for this commissioning into his ministry. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The love of the Father poured out on the Son, In Matthew 25, 21, we get the story of um, a couple of stories, a couple of parables. Uh, We get the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. And I'm not going to get into the parables this morning, but what I'm going to identify is that both of those parables start out with the statement, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then there are these examples. It'll be a bit like this, and it'll be a bit like this. One of the passages or the passage that I'd like to identify is verse 21, Matthew 25, verse 21. The master has returned and he who had five talents has done well with his five talents. And he says, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And it sets up this idea that this is what the kingdom's like. We get going, we're commissioned to do, and then we go and we do. And there's this notion that we start to build that is a little bit more like this parable and a little bit less like the baptism. And that is, if I do a good job, the master will say I did a good job and then I'll feel loved. It's not what we preach, but it's often what we take away. So I want to consider, I want us to consider for a moment that the kingdom is poured out in this moment by the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And that the Father is identifying the Son and his love for the Son in whom he is well pleased. But it's not because the Son's obedience has affected how much the Father loves the Son. It's because in this moment with all of these crowds gathered, Jesus' act of obedience opens up a space. For Jesus to be fully receptive to the love of the Father and for everybody who is around him to see it. That in this moment, as Jesus is receiving the Holy Spirit for his commissioning into ministry, he is also receiving, receiving again, an awareness of the love of of the father now here's what strikes me about that i don't ever think of jesus as needing to be reminded of the love of the father i think of myself as needing to be reminded because i revert to that good and faithful servant idea way too often right do we do that maybe the idea that if i do a good job i will receive The acknowledgement of a job well done and that I will feel a bit more loved. And there's a lot of anxiety that can build around that. And we can make that a major part of our discipleship, of how we walk out the kingdom. Or it can be something that kind of sneaks in the side doors a little bit too often. That idea that, no, 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 I'm not trying to get God's approval. But I get super stressed when... I think about how I'm not doing this thing. Should I be leading a Bible study? Should I, I mean, I haven't done a quiet time in a while. And, and you kind of get into this tangle of thoughts and feelings about, yeah, but how does God really feel about me? Um, and then we have to revisit the love of the Father. And how often do we think that Jesus knew and was in communion with the Father all the time? Did Jesus need to be reminded? I think probably not. And so why? Why would God pour this love, this extravagant love out if Jesus didn't need to be reminded? Because God is extravagant. Because if the love of God doesn't change. Because it doesn't matter what the need for The love of God is in the sense that it's just constant and huge and being poured out. And sometimes we're not entirely sure about it, but the life of the disciple is a life of living into the love of God more than it is a life of doing. And so often we get tangled up with the doing and we get a little stuck because the doing turns into our ability to receive the love of God. Jesus lived in a space of reception to the love of God and in this moment he is doing and that doing opens up a receiving and an awareness of the love of God maybe in a new way for him, I don't know, but certainly in a way that those around him were able to perceive it. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. With the spirit comes a constant reminder that we are beloved. We are beloved. Always. Ongoing, never ending, always pursued by the love of God. And so, what is the part that obedience plays in that? Obedience makes us tender to that love. Not obligated, but tender to that love. Think about some of the relationships that you're in a relationship with a a dear friend. A relationship with a partner, a relationship with a parent or a child, when you are secure in that relationship, the pouring out and the response to the love that already exists is in obedience to that love. Now, sometimes, particularly in this context in a church, We have heard a different message. We've heard a message that has said you need to be obedient. You need to be obedient to what's being told you from up here. You need to be obedient to how we read scripture. You need to be obedient, dot, dot, dot. And what's implied is if you are not, we will withhold relationship. If you are not, this will be withheld or that will be withheld. And what gets communicated is that the love of God is withheld when we are not obedient. That's really painful and is really terrifying. Why? Because the love of God sustains us. So the notion that it would be withheld from us until we get it right is genuinely terrifying. And not... What's happening here? It's not the love of God to be withheld. The love of God was poured out and continues to be poured out. And when we walk in obedience to that love, it's like the atmosphere we were born for. We're walking in that atmosphere. It's like being obedient to gravity. It hurts when you're not. But being careful how that gets filtered. We're obedient to the love of the Father. Not how somebody tells us that love does or does not exist. So I would like to encourage you. If you are somebody who struggles receiving that love, if you are somebody who is not entirely sure about the love of God, would you open up to somebody trustworthy about that? Somebody who seems to be able to listen well and not convey judgment? If you are somebody who doesn't want to talk about it, but you feel like there's some pain there, and you would like to pray with somebody, uh, would you find one of us with a lanyard? If you are considering that maybe there are some theologies that have been built into your system that maybe you need to revisit and reconsider... You can talk to one of us or email us at newcommunity. We have some shorts that are coming up. Um, We have some small groups. Um, I would encourage you to enter into some community where you can be encouraged in your theology and in your understanding of Scripture as the Holy Spirit continues to do this work in you. May we find community So that as we find ourselves wanting to walk in obedience as the atmosphere of love, that we would always be confident of the love. That is the love of the Father for us, even as the love of the Father for the Son was poured out. Eugene Peterson has a quote that I love. Joy is not a requirement of, the, of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It's not what we have to acquire to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we're walking in the way of faith and obedience. My prayer for us, New Community, is that we are able to celebrate the life of obedience because it is it, it is the atmosphere of love. We are responding to the love that has been given. That is what our obedience is inspired out of. Even as Jesus came up out of the water and we saw the entire laying out of what was going to be the beginning of this kingdom that we live into that the spirit would descend that we have that very spirit and that from there we would see and know the life and love and favor of the Father all of the days of our lives and that that joy would be in us. Will you pray with me? Loving God, as we have looked at this moment of obedience in the life of Jesus this morning, and we have seen Holy Spirit, what that moment brought about, a meeting of heaven and earth. May each one here experience moments of joy and transcendence as heaven meets earth in them As they walk out a life of obedience. For those who are tired and weary, would you give them rest? For those whose theology sometimes entangles them, would you speak truth? That each one of us would find ourselves growing in the life of obedience that you have called us to. And that in that, there would be a deep and reverberating joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.